I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Before we get started, just want to say thanks again to our sponsors over at Dr. Dish Basketball. Their shooting machines, in my opinion, are the best in the business. So it, right now, if you mention Quick Time Out, you can get $300 off on some select models. So go check them out. Visit drdishbasketball.com. Excited today to have Coach Rex Walters on the show. Before we get started, Coach, thanks for coming on the show. No, hey guys, thanks for having me. It's, it's good to meet Andrew. I, I know he's down at Stetson with Donnie and Brendan, a lot, a lot of people that I know. Uh, I know Stan. Stan's a good friend. He lives down in that area. And, and Tony, we've we've talked before. You're saving this great podcast ever. I'm waiting it to. I'm waiting to release it on the people. I don't think they're quite ready yet for it. That's there you go. All right. So we're right. saving it for a little bit later. <laughs> so my introduction probably didn't do you justice. Can you kind of give like a bio rundown of where all you've been and what you've done? Because that's going to really set the the table for what we're going to talk about today. Well, I, I've been really blessed in coaching. So after after I retired, kind of my progression was couldn't get a job when I retired. Didn't you know? It was bad timing. Um, I ended up. I was really fortunate to to get to work a year for Ed Fritz at Blue Valley Northwest. And people don't know Ed Fritz. Ed Fritz now is coaching the McDonald's All American game. Coach kids like Clayton Custer, won multiple state championships. He's got a kid at Kansas right now. Just a really good coach, good guy. His son's now getting in the business. So I think he was at Nebraska last year. Uh, but from there, I did one year there with him uh, just as an off-campus coach playing golf. It was a great life. I played golf, and then I coached basketball. I lived on a golf course. But then from there, I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to teach high school basketball. So I was lucky enough, called around Mark Turgeon, actually helped me get a hold of a guy named David Moe, who was at Emporia State. And so I went to Emporia State uh, as a volunteer assistant again. Um, didn't really want to get my master's, didn't want to go back to school. Uh, KU just wore me out with the high academic standards of Kansas University. I was like, I just don't know if I want to do that again. So I went to Emporia State, but then got really, really fortunate, you know, uh, Valpo had an opening. Uh, Scott Drew, who's done unbelievable things at Baylor, left Valpo. I knew Bryce, Bryce Drew, who's now at Grand Canyon. And Bryce uh, was fortunate uh, or nice enough to get me an uh, interview with his father, Homer. Spent two years at Valparaiso University. Uh, had a really good team, went to the NCAA tournament the first year I was there. Not quite as good the second year, but we were still building it up. But then from there, Matt Doherty gets the job at Florida Atlantic University. And Matt Doherty Obviously, people know him from his time at, at, at North Carolina as a player and as a coach, but also worked at Notre Dame, Florida Atlantic, where we worked together and then went to SMU. So I was with I was at FAU for a year. Matt gets the SMU job and I was fortunate enough, really wasn't ready, but was fortunate enough to get the FAU job as a head coach with really now only three years of assistant coaching experience. Was there for two years, had a pretty good year uh, my first year at FAU. Uh, where we just joined the Sun Belt, went from the A Sun to the Sun Belt, which was a a, a, a big jump uh, for us. But we had some talented kids. Went 18, I think 18 and 15. Uh, the next year we were kind of building it back up again. I think we were a game under 500, if I could be wrong by a game or two. And then, but I was fortunate enough to get a, an opportunity to go to San Francisco. And San Francisco for me is California. It's home. Uh, was there for eight years. 
learned an awful lot from that experience because I probably still wasn't ready at that time uh, to be at San Francisco. Uh, was there eight years, had some good years, uh, you know, three years, two years, we, we won 20 games. First time in 30 years that they had won 20 games in San Francisco. was really proud of that. Went to three different postseason tournaments, qualified, qualified for four. But but my last year, we just decided, you know, kids nowadays, after they, after you played in the CIT and the CBI, they, they wanted the NCAA tournament or, or you know, even the NIT would have been tough the second time around. But so we played in all those tournaments, everything but the big dance. We just couldn't get to the big dance. They got a couple schools named Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU. It's, it was hard to get over that that hump uh, and, and, and get to a position where we could be an NCAA tournament team. Although we finished second once or twice, uh, we were kissing the sister a couple times to Gonzaga, uh, you know, St. Mary's, but uh, was then we let go. I was let go, was very fortunate. You know, Andrew, I'm sure he's met Stan Van Gundy. Uh, Stan was really nice enough to, uh, you know, interview and talk to me about uh, the G League opening. So I was, a, I was a G League head coach for one year. Uh, for the Grand Rapids Drive, then Stan, who's like just been an unbelievable. He's like a, you know, people say mentor all the time, but but you know, I, I've really tried to watch him uh, from afar when he was at Orlando, which he had great success, and then uh, for a few years in, in Detroit, and then got to work for him as an assistant coach for player development. Was a great job, loved it. Was having a lot of fun. Worked with some great players, Reggie Bullock. Uh, you know, and Luke Kennard, uh worked with those guys primarily. It's great to see those guys go on and have great success, um, great professionals, really smart, really, you know, just great guys to work with. But just learn so much from guys like Stan Van Gundy, uh, Bob Byer, Tim Hardaway, uh, Malik Allen, Aaron Gray, Charles Clask, TJ Saints, you know, guys that you probably will run into as you guys do this thing. So, um, you know, after we were let go, we were let go in the second year. And, and I thought Stan did a phenomenal job. We were 10th in the league in defense. I think we were two games out of uh, the playoff chase with, and I think we, we had Blake, Blake, uh, Griffin, uh, Griffith. Um, I always say Griffin, Blake Griffith, um, uh, Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. We had them for, I think, a total of five games the entire season. Uh, and yet still had a chance to make the playoffs. Didn't make it. The ownership made a decision to, to let Stan go. Um, I went to Nevada for a year. Eric Mussman allowed me to be a special assistant to the head coach. And then from there, he went to Arkansas. Uh, and then uh, I was fortunate to work for a, a, a really good man, Danny Manning, this past year in Wake Forest. Obviously, we got let go, but it was a chance for me to coach in the ACC, work for a great, great person. And Danny Manning, a great man, someone that really loves and cares about his players. We just didn't do enough, and they decided to make a change. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm living in Winston-Salem, trying to sell a house, and uh, still staying involved in basketball in different ways, watching a lot of tape. That was long. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I mean, obviously we're, we're talking about you know, lessons learned in, in coaching and you've had, you've had an incredible journey and been a lot of places, but I guess one thing that I'd be curious to hear too is, you know, as you, you were let go from a head coaching position at San Francisco and then got to, you know, test the waters with NBA guys. And what was, you know, that jump from college to NBA uh, right after being let go, what were some lessons that you learned just from that experience in particular uh, that helped you grow into where you're at now? 
Wow. So, you know, like I said, when I when I got the San Francisco job in, in so many ways as an assistant coach, as a young assistant, I'm 50 now, but at, at that time I was still a young assistant coach at FAU. Um, and I get the San Francisco job. I, I had only two years of head coaching experience. I only had three years of assistant coaching experience. And I think one of the smartest guys in the business, right, that keeps it so simple is Roy Williams. And what Roy, what Coach Williams has done is, he, number one, he's got an unbelievable work ethic. Uh, he learned a system that really, really worked for him. And he's he's always he was really smart in the jobs that he was going to go after. And obviously, he's had two great jobs, right? He's at Kansas and he's at North Carolina, places where you can, if you do these three things, you can have great success for a long, long time. I don't think I quite understood that. I thought as a young coach, well, my system's going to be in place and I can teach. And I still think I can do those things. But I think talent is really the number one thing that's going to determine your success. So if you're going to take a job, you want to take a job where you feel like, you can be in the top three every year in terms of talent. And so in your league. So um, I think that's the biggest thing that if I had to look back, would I have taken FAU? Of course, when you get an opportunity to be a head coach, it's, it's really hard to say no. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, we were going to the Sun Belt. I didn't understand the dynamics of, okay, we got Western Kentucky at that time. We had South Alabama at that time. We had some great Middle Tennessee you know, guys that are really good coaches and you can be a great coach, but if you can't get talent, right, if you can't teach your system, right, if you don't have a good system in place, you're going to be in trouble. Well, I thought the teaching part was pretty good for me. I thought the system uh, was good. The teaching was good. You know, we had talent at times, but we could never like out recruit Gonzaga, St. Mary's and BYU, which is, it, you know, uh, oh, you know, it was really hard. So. I taught really hard. I had a system that's hard to do, but if you do it right, you can have success. But at the same time, I was so driven and so passionate about it, but I didn't show my passion in a positive way. And I think that's really, really important nowadays that you got to give guys hope. In my last few years, you know, I just wrote down and every morning when I walked in the office, you know, I just I, I read out these things. I said, hey, I'm going to be a great father. I'm going to be a great husband and I'm going to give these guys what they need. Right. Not what I want to give them. Right. What I feel I need to give them at that time, but what they need to hear. Right. To give them hope that they can be successful. But I didn't learn that until my fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth year. And at that time, your culture, uh, you know, it's always evolving. But my culture was one of we're going to get it done or I'm going to find, you know, in college athletics, you have APR issues. You're going to I'm going to find someone that's going to get it done. So. Uh, we had a transfer problem before transfers is what it is today. And so I, I learned that that the, giving them what they need, right, and getting them to another step in their development as opposed to, hey, I need to find someone else. Like there's going to be times where, where kids are going to, you know, uh, this is the wrong way to say it, hang themselves, right? They're going to do stuff off the court that you can't control, right? Your administration, you know. Uh, but I think the first thing you got to do is you got to be able to recruit the right kind of kid that fits your program, fits where you're at, fits your university mission statement, fits your athletic department, fits academically, right, and fits socially. You got to really do a great job of that, and they have to be good enough, right, good enough to play, compete, and win at a very high level. And I don't think I totally understood that when I took the FAU job and when I took the San Francisco job, and. 
I didn't understand that I have to get the most out of each one of them. And if they decide to leave, they decide to leave. You can't control that. But I think at times our guys felt or our players felt, and I have good relationships with, with a, a lot of them, you know, pretty much all of them. I still in some way are in touch with them. But because they understand now at 28, 29, 30, but they didn't understand it 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, so they understand it now, but that doesn't do me any good. You know, I could still be at San Francisco, still winning a lot of games. But but so that's one thing I really learned is, is you got to give them what they need so they can continue to grow and get better and get the most out of them. Right. And if that means you're in fourth place, right, that means you're in fourth place. Because we did. We would go, you know, fifth, sixth, second, you know, back to fourth because we'd every time we got good, we'd lose good players. And I just remember one other thing. I was talking to a really good player for us, Paris Blackwell. And, and he had already decided he was going to leave. So I said, hey, Paris, come in here. Let's just talk for two days. We're going to talk. And I want you to tell me about our program and tell me where we're good. Tell me where we're weak, you know, so I can help this program get better. And after those two days, and it was about eight hours of talking, you know what I mean, over two days. And he was great, like great kids had a really good successful professional career, went to Washington, was a pretty good player for them. Um, and he's, and, and when we're walking out, I'll never forget this. He said, coach, you know, if we had talked like this, you know, not to this extent of eight hours, but if we had spent this much time over the last three years, I, I probably wouldn't have left because now I really know you. And I didn't let kids know me good enough, you know, and I had a little bit of a pro mentality. Uh, when I played for coach Williams, I didn't talk to coach Williams a whole lot. I didn't want to, I was scared of the man. You know what I mean? But that was a different time and a different era. And now we're in the 2000s. These kids need to know the why. So you constantly got to be coaching the why. And so those are the things that I learned uh, that, that, you know, at 50, I said, hey, I probably could have prevented that. You know, I probably you might have never met Drew. You know, he might be still he might be playing for me at San Francisco. You know, um, so those are things that I really learned, I think, that that are so important for young coaches. You know, and I, I said a lot of things, but. You got to be able to, like I said, you know, recruit to the, a place that fits uh, them and fits you and fits your university. Then you got to constantly giving them what they need and not what you want at that time, but what they need at that time. Uh, and if you can do that, I think you can build a culture and build a system that can be sustainable. Uh, and, and so now you can be at a place for a long, long time. I think great coaches have done that. You know, guys like, you know, Rick, Rick, Ricky Bird at, at Belmont, like he has a culture there. Every year, you know, Mark's been able to do that at Gonzaga. Every year, they're better. Now, he recruits at a high level, too, you know, and that's why I always say Rick Bird first because at Belmont, like, like every year, you knew what you were going to get. You, you saw their DNA as a team. You knew what they were about. So, uh, and he never wanted to leave. He was, he was at the place he wanted to be because he knew he fit that place. So, for coaches, I think Coach Williams understood. He was at Kansas for 15 years, right? And it's Kansas, so – and, and then he was at Carolina. But if you can find a, a, a low or mid-major that has those things where you have a chance to compete every year and your vision fits with the university that you're working for, you can have sustained success for a very long time. Just a quick time out to tell you about our partners at Sideline Interactive. Maybe you're wanting to increase your revenue for your program or improve the fan experience at your sporting events, or maybe it's just time to replace those old scoreboards from the 90s. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer of scoring tables and video display boards for high schools and colleges around the country. To find out more about Sideline Interactive, visit sidelineinteractive.com 
Again, that's sidelineinteractive.com. If listeners haven't picked up on this, I, I wanted to talk to somebody about almost the what did I not what did I do wrong, but things that I wish that I would have done better. And when I thought about this, I about who to ask on here, I thought about Coach Walters, not because he did things wrong, but because I know that he's humble enough and w- will laugh at himself enough yeah. that like and be honest with you. Uh, you know, even with our one conversation that we had, I felt like I really got to know you in that conversation and you were willing to talk about these things. And in a time right now where everybody's talking about giving their best piece of advice and you hear all these coaches giving these virtual clinics about all these great things that they're doing. There's a lot of coaches out there who want to hear like, okay, great. What did you screw up on so that I can avoid that? And so I guess just simply asking that from, you mentioned some of those things, but I'm even talking about like tactical X's and O's on the court. What do you look back at? And you're like, I tried this and it failed miserably. And maybe this is why I feel like it failed miserably. Well, well, the thing I'll say is, so I I learned from unbelievable coaches, right? But here's the thing. What works at Kansas or North Carolina for Roy Williams is not going to necessarily work at San Francisco, right, for Rex Walters. Like two totally different programs in two completely different places. And And I remember this, and Coach always tried to help me. He's like, you know, Rex, be positive, right? And he would ask me, like, do you think, like, you can be in the top three in your league talent wise? Can you have top three talent? in your league and and me being young and brash and super confident and I'm still super confident. I'm humble knowing that I've made some mistakes, but I'm also, you know, I I know I can coach the game, but as a young coach, I was like, no, I'll get the best players. I'll be able to recruit. Well, you know what? At San Francisco, we weren't going to out recruit Gonzaga and quite honestly, we never beat St. Mary's on a kid. And we were never like, because we recruit some, some kids that were of the Mormon religion. If BYU wanted to BYU got them. Okay, so right away I had to figure some different things out. So, um, you know, I I think that those are big things that you've got to figure out a place that is aligned. But getting back to my point, defensively, if I was so I had an opportunity to maybe work for Stan in Detroit. And if if I, you know, looking back, like you want to align yourself with the really like Stan's figured out a way at the best level. uh, Right. to, To defensively give his team the best chance of being successful. And I think a lot of those things really uh, translate to the college game in terms of rim protection, paint protection, and then a constant closeouts, right? Well, at San Francisco, we were pressure, okay? We were denying one pass away. We were really spreading ourselves out. And and so, and we weren't athletic enough to make up for mistakes. Um, So defensively, I thought that was a big mistake by me, um, that, that we needed to be more pulled in we needed to be about, hey, we're, we're going to eliminate layups. We're going to really work on avoidable fouls. And it's funny, Brad uh, uh, Brad Dugan, who was at San Francisco City College, San Francisco, great coach, had great teams uh, there, would always talk to me about that. But, again, I was brash and young and didn't necessarily listen. Like, no, we're going to pressure. We're going to turn people over. And we did do that. But it didn't give us the best chance. And you got to find what works to give you the best chance to have great success. And so you have to have avoidable fouls. You have to keep teams off the foul line, right? Because if you can eliminate layups, you can keep teams off the foul line because now you're always taking the ball out of bounds. You're always playing against the set defense. And the most uh, efficient offense is going to be in transition, whether it's turnovers, right? But, but again, if you're turning people over, that means you're also spread out, right? 
Um, but if you're fouling teams, they're taking the, you're taking the ball out of bounds 70% of the time off the free throw. So we wanted to avoid fouls, and we wanted to be a great closeout team, but we wanted to make our closeouts shorter. And when you're spread out and you're denying one pass away and you're not pulled in, now your closeouts are a lot longer and you're in rotations and you try to, you know, getting teams that aren't like Toronto is one of the best defensive teams, second best. They're in, they're in rotations a lot, but here's the thing. They have great length, right, at the three, four, and five spot. Uh, their guards are bulldogs and really, really smart when you talk about Van Bleet and Lowry. So they can rotate, right? Saying all that, Nick Nurse is really smart. They're playing some zone. They, they box teams a lot, you know. So you got to figure out and put together a defensive scheme, which I did not do at San Francisco. We did turn teams over, and the teams that we were better than, we beat. But what I always wanted to figure out was how can we give ourselves the best chance against Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU? And playing fast against those three teams is not going to give you sustained success against them. So you got to figure out who, okay, if you're not one of the top three teams in your league, right, what kind of defensive system can I put in place? I know I know, Donnie plays some zone. You're not uh, – uh, you know, he plays some zone because guess what? You know, no offense to Stetson. There's some teams in that league that when you guys first got there, because Donnie's a great recruiter, right? He's going to get really good players. But when you first got there last year, you put together a system that gave you the best chance of success defensively. Well, I think that I didn't, I was a little hard headed as a young coach that I didn't put myself, uh, my, my team in the best situation defensively, right? to be successful. You got to figure those things out. And sometimes you got to swallow your pride. Maybe I got to play some zone, right? I got to be more pulled in. We're not going to foul. We're going to rebound at a high level. Because the other thing too, is when you're in rotation, your box outs become more difficult, right? Cause you don't know who you're boxing out. So um, I, I would, I would do that differently if I had to go forward. And, and so I owe coach Williams so much and he tried to help me, tried to tell me, Hey, are, are you in top three in your league? If you're not, play what he calls 21 defense where you're denying to the three-point line you know he tried to tell me I didn't want to listen and then Brad Dukin tried to say hey you got it you got to stay away from fouls you got to be always about avoidable fouls yeah we we will Brad but guess what we're going to deny you know what I mean (laughs) we're going to trap we're going to blitz pick and rolls and we're going to put ourselves in rotation so I would do that differently uh, if I had that chance Uh, because you're not always going to have the best talent and and I think talent's the most important thing that's going to determine your success Coach, if you if you did have that chance to be a head coach again, um, what you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking maybe the the first couple meetings you have with your players or the first couple times you meet with your new staff, what would you you know really make the cornerstone of your program? And I, I know culture is a big piece of that, but what would be the cornerstone of that culture that you would just say, hey, this is this is who we're going to be this time around, and and we got to make sure that we we do this the right way. Well, I think the first thing is, and I'm still, I still believe in this. You you have to play hard, right? You have to play smart and you have to play together. You have to be able to do those three things. The difference would be in the delivery of that message, right? I would make them believe, right? That they could play hard, play smart together, as opposed to uh, make them fearful. <laughs> yeah. If they didn't play hard, they didn't play smart, they didn't play together, that they weren't going to be here, that they weren't going to play. You know, and, and so uh, in today's age, in a mid or low major level, right, you can probably get away with a little more fear at the high major level. You probably can, right, because those guys are high-level players with high-level goals. But there's a reason why guys, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, there's a reason why guys are at the mid-major level, right? There's something there. Because I always say NBA players are freaks, all right? They're freaks either physically, right, 
athletically, like freak size, like you can't seven feet is seven feet, right? Right. And 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 bulk or girth, right? That guys are just born that way sometimes, right? They still have to develop and get better, or you're a freak athlete, like you can play above the rim, you can cover ground, right? Or you have to be a freak mentality, right? Well, if you're at the mid-major, low major level, you, the first two are eliminated right away, right? You, you're not, you're not those two. You're not a freak like physical, right? And you're not probably a freak athletically. So um, you know, guys that make it from the mid-major level are freak mentality guys, like Dame Lillard. Like I'm watching tape of Dame Lillard right now. He, he went to Weber State. He was a freak mentality guy, like character, hard work, more, more, more. You don't get a lot of those guys at the mid-major level. So you've got to constantly be convincing them of, hey, you're going to be great when we play hard, play smart, play together. You can do this, as opposed to if you don't do this, you will sit, right? You will probably, this is not the right place for you, right? You can't, that, that can't be your culture. Your culture has to be about making them believe they can do it, right? Your teaching has to be really sound, uh, which I think I'm a pretty good teacher, but I didn't get that first part was the conveying of the message. And then there's going to be a lot of individual meetings, right? A lot of individual tape. And now like I'm doing a tape today on Kyrie, right? Uh, um, Kyrie Irving. I'm only showing his positive clips. So when I watch players and I get to know a kid and he says, I'm a big Kyrie fan. All right, let's watch Kyrie. Let's watch all the good plays that he makes, how he puts the ball in the shooter's pocket, right? How he sets up his pick and rolls, right? How his head is up, right? So he can make all the plays. That's where you have to get to, son. That's where you're going to get to, son. And I think that builds culture. And now he knows that not only – uh, do you see it in him, but he can see it for himself, right? And so I think that's those are really important things that you – and I didn't do that, uh, quite honestly. I didn't, I didn't spend individual time. My coaches would get on me all the time. I would have also – I think the NBA is able to do this. You have uh, – you would, would put players with coaches, right? But I'd also rotate it constantly, right? So guys are getting touches with everyone on your staff. And now – because, you know, I, I've been at places where that's an issue, Right? Uh, this player is my guy. I recruited him. I coach him. I worked out with him individually. I'm pushing him all the time. And, and that's a bad culture, right? You've got to be everyone. It's so hard to be successful. We have 350 some odd teams, right? But the teams that are really good, all those guys from the president, right, to the uh, uh, the athletic director, to the head coach, to all the assistants, all the administration, they're all moving in one direction, right? Moving forward. And so you have to do your part, right? To make sure that they're all moving forward in the right direction to have success. Um, you're going to have, and you may take a job with the president. It's not that important to them. You may have a, a, a job that to the AD, uh, it's really not that important. When I got to San Francisco, Scott Sidwell, it was important to him. Right. He ended up firing me. But I, I do say this about Scott. He wanted athletics to be important. I'm not so sure the president, no, no, no offense to the president of San Francisco because it gave me an opportunity. But that wasn't one of the top things. I know it's one of the top things at Gonzaga. I, I know from the president on down, it's one of the top things. It's very, very important to them. So um, but you got to make sure you as a head coach with your staff and your players, you all have a vision of where you can go. You know, Coach Riley used to talk about blind faith. Right. You can't see it, but you know, it's there. Right. you got to make sure all of your guys 
believe in that blind faith that it's there. We can get there. We can win a league championship, right? We can go to the NCAA tournament and you got to be selling that image all the time, right? Because here's the thing. If they don't make it, the fact that they believed it, the black, the fact that they saw it, right? Even though they, they couldn't, right? They're going to have great memories when they leave your program and now your program uh, recruits itself, right? Now Paris Blackwell is saying, hey, Rex Walters is the kind of guy you want to play for, right? And, and he's going to promote when he's in Etiwanda. And Avery Holmes, instead of going to Clemson, he's going to be in the Northwest and in, in Salem and in Portland saying, hey, Rex Walters in San Francisco, that's a place you need to look into. So it's, it's, now, it's now something where it's truly a program. Like Coach Williams to always talk about this. Like I want you, Rex, to be walking through an airport and you see another Kansas player that you never played with. And you guys are like brothers, right? Because you you have a common vision of what it takes to be successful at Kansas. That now that's truly when you have a program, and that's going to be sustainable. So Andrew and I fall into this category. You are quite a bit ahead of us. You have son, daughter, at least that have played a high level college sports. Lessons learned being a basketball dad. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm still learning. <laughs> okay. So just like as a coach, I'm still learning. So I've had a daughter that was, that was really, she, she had a, a five-year career, sat out one year at Stetson played. She had a really good career. Funny, she, she, she posted a video on Instagram and I said, how come you didn't send me that? And she's like, well, I thought you saw it, dad. I was like, honey, you were really good. Like, I wish I would have said that more to her in her five years. I was constantly pushing her. Like you, you can do more, you can do more, you can do more. Uh, you know, I think you got to just like I talked about before, like you got to constantly promoting them who they are, but where they can get to, as opposed to you need to do more. No, this is where you can get to. I, I, I struggle with that. Like, that's me because like my, my DNA is like always like people like in my mind, I would always create obstacles right for myself. Like when I was high school, my high school coach said I couldn't play division one, proved him wrong. Right. Uh, when I was when I was growing up, no one thought I could play in the NBA until I got to my junior senior year. Proved a lot of people wrong, right? Um, so I, I'm constantly, So some some kids aren't wired that way. So again, you got to constantly figure out um, how to get them, how to make them, what makes them tick, and what makes that carrot in front of them they go after it. So you know, I was really hard on my daughter. Probably not as hard on on my youngest son. My youngest son, my my my, my kids say you're so soft with Ace. You know what I mean? He probably will have the most success of all of them in terms of life. But I'm not nearly as hard on him. Um, you know, Drew uh, is my. Is, he wants to. He says he wants to coach. You know, so I'm constantly trying to push him. And and, and again, for me as a parent, I'm always trying to find that carrot. And then you got to make sure too your 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 wife. You guys are aligned in how you're dealing with things, and you're on the same page. Uh, with everything and at 50 uh you know when you have those conversations you got to make sure that you and her you have your staff meeting first before you go in there and uh you know discuss those things so it, i'm always constantly learning I, you know i think the other thing too is it goes back to basketball is you know you want your kids right um you want to coach your kids like you would coach your players and you want them to feel the same way that love and respect because if they do if they if they really know you love them you can push them a, a long ways and, and push them hard because they know at the end of the day, you've got their back and you're going to do anything for them. Your players have to feel that way as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm still learning when it comes to the kids, still trying to try, trying to find the right button, still trying to spend time, 
still trying to hold them down. I think the biggest thing too is I think my kids understand. Uh, I'm trying to help them be really good people because we all know the ball is going to stop bouncing. So you know, the, the simple things to me are like big, like please and thank you. <laughs> like, like I expect the please and thank you. And if I don't hear you say please and thank you to your mother, I say something about it. You know what I mean? Like, come on, like your your mom bends, you know, breaks her back for you. You know what I mean? So little things like that, I'm I'm constantly on them about. Um, um, but yeah, it, it, it's parenting. That's that's fully like coaching basketball. It's twenty four seven, but like it, it's really twenty four seven when it comes to your kids when they're under your roof. Um, so it's a constant, and and they are they're watching your example. They're not watching what you say. So when you're not when you're not doing things. The right way they, they they see it you know it's funny my son said the other night i said i was telling him i say don't compare don't compare and don't complain right and last night i was texting I was like, hey man you know uh, i see you working out are you, are you doing enough with your body you know i know another a lot of players are he's like why are you comparing dad <laughs> <laughs> i was like i'm not comparing me i'm comparing you i can do that you can't but they, they, they do. They're going to watch your example. And they're going to watch the things that you say. They're, they're, they're taking a lot more than you think they are. Yeah. I know people are going to listen to this or watch this and want more because you get a lot of great information. And so you do talk more. You have a podcast. Can you tell people about where they can find out more about that? Yeah. So you can uh, on Twitter, you can go to at the pros club dot, uh, at the pros club on Twitter. Uh, they have all the stuff. Um, I've had some great interviews with some great people uh, just this past Wednesday, Jason Williams, uh, not Jason Williams from Duke, uh, but Jason has gone through a lot of tough things, uh, played at St. John's. We met and played together in New Jersey. Uh, people, if you Google him, you'll see that there's a lot of things in his life, uh, mistakes that he's owned up to, things that he's still dealing with today, but he's also helping people today. Uh, Eric Reveno from Georgia Tech uh, coached against him when he was at Portland. Obviously, people, you know, if you want to just listen to basketball, like Stan Van Gundy's the best, right? But Eric Musselman's really, really good. A lot of great basketball people. And it's about their journey in basketball, right? Um, I even I had a friend interview me so I could kind of share my story. I just like to talk a lot, really. So, uh, but just people sharing their story in basketball, how they got to Justin Bauman, the director of operations. Uh, and it's not just high-level super popular head coaches it's it's people in their process in their journey uh trying to get to the place they want to get to but how they've got to this point so i think it's called real talk basketball with rex walters i hate to say with rex walters because i don't like talking about myself in third person but it's real talk basketball and, and you can also find it on apple podcast as well yeah great stuff coach thank you so much for your time it is always a pleasure to talk with you I'm sorry it went so long, guys, but thanks for having me. Appreciate no, it. It's great. It's great. Thank you, Coach. All right. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.